promised, we are back with a guest this week on the Dumfries and Galloway Rugby Podcast. This is episode eight, and you can rest easy with the knowledge that for the first time in a few weeks, it's not myself or John that you have to listen to. With that being the case, I'm expecting our listener numbers to skyrocket in celebration of the fact. And why wouldn't you when we have a top drawer guest for you this week? Dumfries Saints development officer and coach, Dom Stewart is the man in the hot seat, stepping in at late notice to jump on and save the listeners from having just the two of us for the third week straight. Dom, thank you so much for coming on, mate. Good to see you again. How's things? Good, thanks, guys. Thanks for having me on. You must be scraping the barrels looking for guests. Got the invite, but happy to be here. Now, as I say, I think people will be chuffed to see anyone's name on this episode list, as long as it's not myself and John. (laughs) We just started a couple of minutes ago because, as we always do, we wanted a little bit of a run through of kind of where you've come from, what your rugby background has been, just a bit of a refresher. And obviously now we need to tell the listeners. So in your own words, what is your rugby story? Where have you come from? Where have you been? Where are you now? Yeah, so my bench career started about 17, 18 when I went and joined Moffat. My friend's uh, Graham Black, so I convinced us to to come along and although been a big fan of the game and loved watching it, I hadn't really got into playing it apart from maybe maybe the odd thing in school. So started playing there and it sort of just grew arms and legs from then. I started I went and joined the army and after a brief spell there I came back and went to, to uni to study sports coaching. So it got me to where I am now. So the playing career ended. I sort of started focusing on coaching and that led into the development side of the game. So more so, especially with analysis as well. So yeah, it's been a crazy ride. So as you say, obviously now we're at the kind of development end. What stops have you made along the way? Where have you been? Have you travelled the world? Have you stuck to Scotland? What's kind of, what's been the stepping stones up until this point for the development? The stepping stones, I decided to volunteer while I was at uni for the Commonwealth Games in Glasgow, the Rugby Sevens. And I got given, a, I think it was more of a security guard kind of role, checking people's passes through Ibrox um, for the competition, which, again, was great because you've just been in uni watching rugby and then you're, you're suddenly working with professional athletes. So a bit starstruck, but yeah, it was brilliant. Someone had made a mistake, I think, because I got put into the analysis suite at Ibrox and nobody came to swap me about or, or take me from a break. So I ended up staying in there for the, for the whole day, which was, which was fantastic. As a result of that, I got chatting to a few of the analysts there and um, Matthew Johnston in particular. Before I knew it, I'd got a wee invite out to Australia to work with the, the Aussie Sevens team, which was unbelievable. And I think that weekend alone, that volunteering weekend sort of led to my whole career, my whole life, really. So before I knew it, I was out in Australia working with the Aussie Sevens, which was, again, starstruck at my early 20s and, and working with players you just saw on the telly and then you were eating your dinner next to them and then a week later. So it was, yeah, it was unbelievable, but it was it was amazing. And then I got the opportunity through Cathal Garvey while I was out there to work with the Wallabies too. So again, another massive step up and it was it was unbelievable and I was working at the Bledisloe and yeah it was it was brilliant but unfortunately I had to, to call the, the dream out a day because I'd still had another year of my degree to finish so I had to to come back home and, and get that sorted but I then through my lecture was sort of offered a, a role within Hamilton Aki's football club as an analyst 
So I, I sort of took the opportunity of that as my first kind of job outside of uni. So I was working with Hamilton football and I was a football fan, but not necessarily a massive tactical genius in, in football and somehow I managed to last, I think, three or four seasons there before they realised I didn't have actually that much of a clue about football. Either that or they're just too polite, one or the other. So after after Hamilton Ackies, I, I was given a a chance sort of working with Motherwell Football Club as well and big rivals but it was an easy switch because Ross through Motherwell was was great I worked closely with him for a few years and and he saw that I'd I'd left Hamilton I got a wee invite to come work with them for a season which was great but by that point I decided I was really wanting to get back into rugby so I, I got a job with Kirkcaldy, Corgi George, who was working there at the time, I ended up doing analysis for them for a season, which was brilliant. I got back into rugby and it was still sort of in that analysis role. But I, I decided by that point, analysis, I kind of wanted to, to sort of move away from and get more into coaching. I started doing my, my coaching levels and then, yeah, the development job at Dumfries Dem- came up. So I, I took the opportunity to go for it. And yeah, I was lucky enough to, to get the job. So and uh, that's where I am now. One of the things that I find really interesting, not just the fact that it's an amazing story generally, it's actually the fact that rugby, you said, started for you probably around 17, 18, which is quite late, as you said. But it makes me wonder, was sports coaching always the plan? And kind of how did that come across? Because obviously you're you're well into it now and, and you have been for a while. But if you don't pick up rugby until you're 17, 18, and then by that point, you're already leaving away for uni was the sports coaching degree always going to be aimed to rugby as soon as you started rugby you know was it was it like a such an easy transition I've started rugby now I want to be a rugby coach and was that not quite difficult because starting a sport that late and then still wanting to become a coach is, is quite a tough thing my friends always laugh about and say that I'm, I'm really lucky and it's it's one of those things that seems to get me through life and it definitely does but the the thing for me so after I left the army I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do so I'd left school at 16 not, not a huge amount of qualifications but obviously having that experience through the, through the army I was able to to get to college and sports was something that I always really loved don't get me wrong I was horrendous at it but it was always something that I was uh, I was I really enjoyed and my friend, uh, my friend Liam always said, yeah, Dom was a shit player, but he was a, he's a good coach. So, and then that's sort of, I kind of fell into it and I, I saw the course. So I, so I studied uh, HND at um, City of Glasgow College because I had no hires. That was, that was kind of my only route into the sort of further education role. So, so I did two years at uh, HND and that's kind of where the rugby coaching side of things came out. And then after those two years, I went to UWS at Hamilton for the sort of third year fourth year of my degree and the coaching was always part of the plan I guess at that point but analysis definitely wasn't I remember sitting in my first analysis lecture I was like who would want to do this for a job like this going through documents and stats and and it was I was just I couldn't imagine anything worse but as obviously as the year went on and I started to learn more about it and realize the impact it can have on players and coaches and the transition of video footage and data that was when I sort of realized I could get paid for watching sport for a living so that was something I I kind of snowballed into and before I knew it like I say I was I was around the world and 
I got to, to travel places to not just going to Australia, but I got to work in Malta and Spain and, and go down to England. And, and there was, there's loads of opportunities. And even through development, I've managed to go to, to Northern Ireland as well. So yeah, there's, there's lots of really good things there for me. And, and I was just able to take them at the right time, I guess. You kind of almost answered it there, but maybe for people that don't exactly know, what does an analysis job look like? What kind of things day in, day out? Maybe if we take it on your on the rugby side, a little bit easier for people to understand what is it that you were doing day in, day out? Where does that lead you? How does that come about? So it, it depends totally on the manager. Sometimes they want really in-depth information one week and then they're happy with video highlights the other. But yeah, it's so you're recording games, you're editing those games, you're creating highlights, then pulling stats off the, the footage. You could be looking at line breaks, you could be looking at times time it takes for the ruck to set, then you're looking at decision-making, which can create a whole different sort of ball game. And yeah, the, the list is really endless in what you could do. And But like I say, it depends on what the manager wants. And sometimes it can be as simple as they just want a, a small highlight reel, and then other times they want a, a proper in-depth document with how much your stats from that game so yeah it's it really depends and then you're looking at the opposition time for the next game and then you're looking at team sheets and you're looking at sort of team sheet patterns and yeah so there's there's really no end to to what you you need to be able to do but it's and at the end of the day it's getting paid towards sport so it, it's, it's it's an amazing job to have but it's it's not for faint hearted when you've then done all that analysis and you've collated that all how does it then work do you basically just make a make a spreadsheet or make a word document and give it to the manager or maybe is that you going into the team meetings and going look guys we're averaging five seconds a ruck that's not good enough we need to be doing better our line breaks or our decision making in the 22 is is really good we'd have to keep working on this what how you know how do you once you've done all the hard work then implement it for for the boys to see Again, it depends on the team and, and the sort of coaching dynamic, but I think most of the time it's down to the manager. You, you pass over your information and, and, and he'll process it and either he'll either speak to the player as a, as a group or players as a group or maybe speak to a couple of players individually and look at the highlights or the stats that way. And yeah, so you're, you're compiling mostly on a, on a spreadsheet and then you're transitioning it into from the numbers into things that are a bit maybe easier to read. And especially if you're handing out the information to, to young players, sometimes it's easier than giving them a, a spreadsheet. Sometimes you can make a, a, a document on whatever edit format you've got and make it a bit more appealing for them and maybe in a bit easier way for them to, to learn something from it. But again, like the information's coming in and then it's going out by by that week and then you're you're compiling a whole new set of data. So and sometimes you can you can be looking at the stats from the opposition to then pass on to them to prep for their game and then you're giving them their own ones and so it's just rolls constantly. But yeah, it's it depends what what the manager wants and how you want their players to learn because some stats are useful but it, it does take a lot of work and it's it's really quite funny because I find a lot of similarities in the way that your career has gone you know all over the place lots of different opportunities lots of different things is similar to my own in the way that I've now started doing some rugby development but I've, and and coaching as well but I've come from not even close to that kind of background I, I did a well close I suppose but sports journalism and working in Madrid and it's it's TV and radio and all that kind of stuff. And now close to looking to become a development officer or a coach, at least doing my badges, SRU. It's just these opportunities come about so 
randomly in this kind of area of both the world and our sport. And especially with you, you just got chatting to someone at a place that wasn't even a, a rugby stadium. And then you're jetting off around the world. It's it's absolutely mental, really, when you think about it. Like I say before, a lot of it comes down to luck. And, and I, I have been very, very lucky. But it's a lot of hard work as well. I think when people see sports, they often see the highlights. They see all the benefits of it and what they see on the telly. But a lot of the work behind the scenes, like you're working Christmas Day, sometimes you're working New Year's Eve, New Year's Day. Like you're only getting four weeks off in June and then you're working the rest of the year. Like you don't, you don't get the same sort of employment rights as, as other people get in different, in different ways of life. And I think some people wait for jobs like that to open up for, for years and it never happens. But then sometimes it does. And I remember when I was in Australia, there was a lot of coaches there sort of asking what I did, who obviously would have killed it jumping into the environment I had just got into by luck. And somehow this boy from Scotland somehow managed to get working with two senior squads in a, in a, in a country. And they'd maybe been involved in that coaching setup within the domestic game for waiting for an opportunity. It just never, never happened for them. So like it, it can, it, it can happen like that, unfortunately, but I've, I've been lucky and, and I'm, I'm loving every minute of it. It's then brought you all the way back to Scotland with a lot of pit stops, with a lot of different kind of roles. And it's brought you ultimately to to Dumfries Saints. First of all, before we get into, into Saints as a club, are you glad to be in this kind of role? You've done analysis, you've done coaching, you've done travelling the world. Development officer is almost all of those combined into one, but with a lot of other different things. Is this something that that you're enjoying, that you've that you've liked doing, maybe something that you expected to do? after all the things you've done in the past? I think the development roles sort of given myself a bit more security as well. So I think being able to see my family and friends a lot more is definitely something that, that that's great. I don't have to work Christmas Day and stuff like I said earlier. So that, that's obviously a plus. But in terms of the actual job role itself, I, I love being here. I love being DO at Saints. The, I feel like I'm able to help people. Like obviously in Dumfries, not not a lot of people know that some of the areas of the town have got worse poverty ratings than the whole city of Dundee. So I'm able to maybe make more of a difference within my current role, even if it's just what helping one kid to get over maybe some of the barriers that are in place in in rugby. And I, I'm I'm really enjoying to sort of help provide that pathway to the club. I think being able to help build players up and, and get them to a point where that they're able to start going for trials within the, the academy setups within Scotland, I think is, is great as well. And I love to see it. And, and luckily, an amazing team of volunteer coaches at Dumfries is, is able to, to, to sort of transition those players through. So it's really good. And I think the recruitment side of things as well is something that I, I really, really enjoy. Being able to provide that pathway from school to club is something that we've had quite a lot of success so really part of my role that I'm enjoying. You've got quite a an interesting way of doing that, that recruitment Dom. It's it's not I mean there is similarities to the other clubs in DNG, but you've you've tried to go a slightly different tact with it, haven't you? Just give us a wee rundown of, of how you actually go about the recruitment process at Saints. So I think one of the things when I first started was a lot of the clubs seem to not necessarily in DNG, but across Scotland, seem to maybe put a poster up saying, here's rugby 
please come and join us. And for me, that was a, a big sort of, I couldn't get my head around how they thought that could work. So for me, I think that there's a lot of takes that you can use from other sports and, and why they're so successful in that. Like with football, for example, you have scouts one in the country looking for players who they can recruit and bring to their clubs. And that was something that I thought maybe we could try and downscale and, and, and put into a school network. And I feel that is the case. So what we do is we train the players up to the point where that they're able to to come along and try all that Saints. And, um, and in that way, they've got that sort of recruitment process rather than just uh, we hope players come to the club. There's an actual connection there and a pathway that if you're a part of the school of rugby at this school, you'll be getting certain coaching and then you'll get your invitation to the club. And I think that's that's worked really well so far. And there's been a, a sort of massive surge in your, your girls section, isn't it? Is that... Has that been the foundation of it? Do you think that that whole making them feel like they're part of something bigger, that making them feel like they're sort of wanted and sort of feeling like they've been invited to something rather than them selecting to? I'm not 100% if that's the only reason, but I think that I think it definitely helps. I think the, the fact that we've had such a, like you say, a surge in girls' numbers. I think we're sitting at 50 this season, going by the SRU stats. That it's, it's amazing. And the girls have got such a great team environment. And I think maybe initially at the start, John, that's how we were able to get them to the club. But I think now the, the team atmosphere and the, the spirit of the girls there are, are sort of the main draws of the, of the club. And there's obviously been that progression because we see now that the benefits of this is you're now starting to get a bit of a women's a women's team getting together. Tell us a little bit about that because you know one of the kind of main drivers of that wasn't you? weren't you right in the early days? You've got volunteers now, but in the early days it was it was pretty much left to you. We started it off as more or less a, a pyramid. So we started, instead of starting with a women's team and trying to build down, we, we started at the bottom. So we looked at, at the time, I think it was under 15s and under 18s, but under 14s going up into under 16s. And then we were able to get an under 18 squad. And we had that maybe a couple of years of that before we decided right now's the, the time to try and get the women team going. More so because we like there was, there was two or three really successful women's teams in the region. So we didn't want to, to lose those girls. We wanted to keep them at Saints and, and try and keep that benefit of, of the pathway there. So so we were able to start our women's team last season. They, they trained through the summer and the winter and then, and then they got to the point this year where they felt like they were ready for games and they've, they've done really well so far. And like I say, yeah, we, we've had, I'd say the, the main issue we've had is finding volunteers for helping the girls. And But luckily now we've got Richard McPherson and Hans and Hannah Stewart and Richard Kunnell as well, taking the women and Don Kunnell as well. So yeah, we're, we're really lucky to have a good sort of women and girls volunteer and staff to help run all of that. Yeah, I think there's so many benefits that, come from being a development officer a lot of things that are quite as you said fulfilling you know you can help people it really it's really a good feeling but there's obviously a lot of other challenges you've touched on a few of those aside from the fact that you have to meet and work with John there are other downsides to being a a development officer do you think you could highlight maybe some of them I think you, you touched on Dumfries being an area of poverty finding volunteers that kind of thing is is true for all of our clubs, especially in Dumfries and Galloway. But we were we were all three of us lucky enough to go to that SRU meeting a couple of weeks ago, and and that was a chance to kind of express what we find difficult 
in in our roles in Dumfries and Galloway. Yeah, so I think anyone who works with me will tell you I've not got a great poker face a lot of the time. And when sometimes when I'm in meetings and I'm not particularly agreeing with with things that are being said or done, I, I'm, I'm not very good at hiding it. But yeah, the, the, there's difficulties like that in any job. But I think it's it's all about sort of maybe learning what to expect when when you've got so many kids at your clubs. There's so there's so many different avenues of what your work week's going to look like. Sometimes you you've got a, a great week, you're coaching, you and then suddenly you're dealing with parents or that's that have got complaints or you've got child protection issues or you've got paperwork that's even filled out ASAP and you've got to sort of try and prioritize either your school session or, or the paperwork so th- there is a lot of juggling going on and I think I think even the volunteer coaches they, they'll expect to just be there to coach rugby and I know a few of them have come to me and said it's like more or less being like a social worker but the thing is when when you're and then COVID, obviously, that was that was an interesting that was an interesting time in the world as well. So that was definitely a lot to learn from. That I think when you are coaching mainly kids as well, there's there's so many different things that can crop up that you've got to sort of be ready to to deal with at a moment's notice sometimes. So looking at a nation as a whole, like the game's changing all the time, and I think that that does bring up issues and concerns. And yeah, I think sometimes maybe common sense seems to be a thing that that seems to everyone can agree on that it's not always put into place for some reason and that sometimes what people say that about me but I know I say that about other people as well so it's yeah it's kind of one of those things that there's always a speed bump in the road but like I say it's it's, it's an amazing job and, and it's I'm, I'm learning all the time so I wanted to ask a, a question about the super six stuff that's going on but maybe first we should have you explain what your involvement is in that and how that came about before we dive a little bit deeper as you say, the DO role's got lots of different avenues and, and team management was something that I was really enjoying. And when COVID hit, obviously that came, stopped a lot of the day-to-day stuff. So I had a lot of time to think about where my interests were and, and what I'd like to maybe try and improve on. And, and I started getting, uh, having a conversation with you and Clark just over lockdown about maybe roles that I could get involved in within Glasgow and the West Academy. And, and he was really good and, and invited me up and sort of found a role for me up there, which was great. So I've been working there for a wee while now. Yeah, so uh, team management through through Glasgow in the West and Glasgow Warriors under 18s and under 16s and I got uh, under 20s as well. So it was getting to sort of learn the the match day stuff as a as a team manager, but also the behind the scenes stuff and the planning, the organisation, the logistics, all stuff which I've I've really learned a lot from and and started to enjoy. I got a call from Jamie Dempsey, and he was saying that they were looking for a hand for for the the Scotland Futures, which is the new team added to the Super 6, so the Super Series now. So there was the problem at the time was a lot of the boys and the, the management staff were away in Kenya. So they needed some people to sort of fill the gaps until they got back. So I was able to to go and work with them for, for a while, which was absolutely brilliant. And um, as the seasons went on, I've just sort of continued that. And Graham Beveridge, who's the team manager there, just assisting him on, on the maybe not so much the weekly weekly basis stuff now because as I say the, the same season sort of takes priority for me but when it comes to Saturday as I'm not contracted 
affected with the seniors at Dumfries. I'm able to to work on my my own skill set, and yeah, it's it's an amazing experience working with the the caliber of players they've got up there, and it's great to see the Saints boys that have made it through the youth system and, and going through. So obviously, Gregor Hilderson's contract with the Warriors, but playing with with Sterling and you and Muirhead at Borough Muir and the Curries as well. So yeah, it's been it's been good to see, and Lewis Ferguson's made a step up recently and play for the futures as well. So yeah, it's been really good. Does your Tom? Does your work with the future is what you've been doing with them come as kind of a, a welcome variation to a role that you're doing already. You know, that it's very different to the day-to-day that, well, it's it's hard to say because as you said, the day-to-day can be very, very different as a deal. But it's certainly something, a new challenge, a new set of players, a new area, pulling players in from, from all sorts of teams and especially because they are such a young team trying to push them on so does it does it come as a welcome kind of variation in your rules yeah so the variety is something i'm enjoying i'm getting to travel to new grounds i'm getting to work and meet new people i'm getting to sort of test myself a little bit as well and so if i don't start letting things slide i can i can keep pushing myself and obviously i'm getting looked at and assessed and, and made sure that i'm doing the right stuff and I, but when you're working at that sort of level, you've got to sort of set a certain standard on on the product you produce. So I've got to make sure that what I'm doing is uh, a good a good level. So I'm enjoying it, but I am quite critical of myself as well. So I'm always trying to improve and making notes on things that I could maybe do like games the following week a little bit better. So yeah, it's but I'm I'm really enjoying the time there. What is the actual role maybe of a team manager? I'm genuinely asking this because. In that kind of scenario, I'm not sure myself what what would be involved. So obviously during the week you're you're with Saints. How much involvement can you have during the week? How much time can you put aside during the week to to get stuck in, be involved with the futures? And then obviously when it comes to comes to the weekends, it's a different kettle of fish. You're it's almost like you're you've been in Dumfries for a week and then Saturdays, bang, you're thrown in the deep end, ready to play a game against Watsonians or Ayrshire Bulls or something like that. The, the answer is no, not really. So, like I said, my, my main priority is Dumfries when I'm working and it's, but the, the way a sort of team management role is so, because it was, it overlapped with the off season, I was able to do maybe a little bit more during the week than I was at the state that I am now. So a lot of it was making sure players were registered onto their team sheets, onto scrums, making sure like the, the kit sizes were all there for them, making sure the, the details of what changing rooms and stuff we were in, the transport and that was all sorted if had players were getting there. there was, there's so many different avenues that, that you need to look at and Graham Beveridge who's the main team manager for the futures his um his skill set's unbelievable the amount of stuff he has to get do get through and it's like there's speed there's so many different procedures that have to go in place because of the level that they're playing at through Scottish rugby that they need to tie off so yeah there's there's a lot of paperwork and logistics that go on behind it and then on a match day again it's kind of making sure the kit's all there ready for everyone set up good to go that you're again you're in the right changing room you're the boys are all nowhere to go and, and once they're there you're you're helping sort out the stuff for the warm-ups and then what during the game itself you're coordinating messages from the coaching staff that are up in the, in the stand and you're speaking to the the match officials at the side for any substitutes and things like that so it's so there's and the doctors sometimes too so there's yeah there's a lot but like i say i think it, the way i learned it was was very good and, and i'm still enjoying it there's the glasgow in the west academy i think um 
like every again every day is a school day so like there's always things even there that you, that you pick up and that you'll realize that maybe you should have done or, or you don't need to do next time and how to make life a little bit easier for yourself as well so yeah so i i, I was taught well as you well know dom it is the age-old question time for the age-old question of what you've got coming up what your future looks like or rather what you'd like your future to look like i've said in a couple of episodes that it's it's a very hard question to answer and it's sometimes you get a lot of the same kind of answer but i think considering how diverse your past has been you you haven't known where your next stop has been probably since you were at college doing doing that sports coaching you never thought you'd be in australia and then Hamilton and then moving and moving and moving so it might be quite hard but what do you want out of the next five weeks we normally say and five years where do you see yourself what are you hoping for it's kind of entwined with the club I guess I think the next five weeks uh, it's a really exciting time at, at the youth system in Dumfries I think the the boys are in a really close promotion battle in national two and I think Hopefully, fingers crossed, if we're lucky to get a promotion, that's the boys and the girls, both in the highest leagues in youth rugby in Scotland. And I think uh, Sterling's the only other team to have both boys and girls in the top flight. So I think that that would be a massive achievement and for the for the club. And I'd, I'd, I'm loving being a part of that. So I think overall, I'm, I'm enjoying being here. I've I've got my family and it's, it's like I said before, I'm getting to see my, my friends and my family whenever I like. And that that's massive for me. But in terms of career, like I think team management is maybe a role I'd like to go. I do love development, but I don't see maybe in development long term. I'm like some of them, like John, John Muir, and who've been here for the the, the old guard. I think um, I've been in this in this role for four or five years, and I am so enjoying it. I just I don't know how long I'll be a DO for, but it's it's something that I'm like I say I'm, I'm good at and I'm enjoying, and and I continue. I'm hoping to continue to do it for a wee while yet. So to finish off, a bit of fun. We haven't been able to do this for a couple of weeks. John, I think, as I said before, people will be chuffed to have this back instead of listening to us. It is quick fire teammates. So Dom, as we say, you've been all over the place with so many different teams and even more players. So please feel free to shout out whoever you think best suits these, what team they're for and... If anything comes to mind, a funny story from any of them, please don't hesitate. As always, number one is the hardest trainer, hardest working. Uh, I'm going to say Fergus McEwen, Dumfries Saints under 18s. Loudest in the dressing room. Louise Taprol, Dumfries Saints under 18s. Worst dresser. Worst dresser. I'm going to say anyone who wears Crocs at any rugby club that wears Crocs to training. Ridiculous. What about. Who spends the longest in front of the mirror? Or who's the last one out of the change room? Because that's one for us as DOs, isn't it? Who's the one you're always waiting to come out of the change room so you can get riled up? Molly Russell under 18 is the few saints. I think that's the easy one. I would say anyone in front of the mirror who had a tremendous mullet, but that style seems to be dropping out and everyone's cutting their mullets off. There's a, a severe lack of mullets in the saints at the minute. Worst taste in music? Can I just say all the boys who listen to the grime or... The, the London hip-hop music, like, I'm sounding like an eight-year-old man there, but it's bloody awful. What about the most naturally talented rugby player? I think, at the minute, I think if you're looking at 
all of our youth, I think Alex Bryden's really turning heads at the minute in terms of his rugby ability. And he's, although he, he may be closest for second hardest trainer, I think he, at the minute he, he makes rugby look easy. And he's, he's really playing at a, a tremendous standard. And I think uh, big things are coming his way. What about the best prankster? Who's the one always cracking the jokes in the dressing rooms? I think Louis Taprell again is really funny. He always cracks a good joke. The laziest person in training, someone you've always got to get, you're always shouting at, always getting them to, to shift themselves, but then when it comes to game day, they're just brilliant. I'm going to maybe say Kelsey Smith. When she says under 18, she is absolutely rapid, absolute athlete, and then sometimes she'll just jog at the back and then one shout from her and then she'll suddenly overtake and lap the whole the whole team. So maybe say Kelsey for that one. What about the hardest? Who's putting in the big hits? Who's always putting their body on the line? There's, there's a few. Emily Hislop, Emily McKenzie Wilson, both absolute tanks. Hayden Kennedy, absolute unit. Owen Goodwin, Cooper Wells. There's there's so many massive, strong runners at the club at the minute. Great ball carriers. But yeah, I'd maybe, I'd maybe stick with them just now. That's actually really good. We, most people struggle to even think of one so to have so many must be pretty brilliant oh, there's so many even at under 18s Louise Tapperl absolute unit she'll run through anybody Carla Nicholson wears a heart on her sleeve like she'll maybe get injured every hit she runs into but she absolutely cracks when she does Jack Barnett was a, was a good one he's, he's seniors now yeah there's there's a massive list but yeah really strong strong ball carriers last but not least through your extensive rugby career who is the best on a night out? Who are you most keen to go for a beer with? I would maybe say Guillaume Buslin, assistant coach at Hamilton at the time. But if you're looking at a player, I'd maybe say Dougie Emery as well. He was, he was good on a night out too. Dom, thank you so much for coming on the pod today, especially at late notice. It's never easy to come on and have to talk about yourself for an hour and remember all the things that you've done, especially in a in a career like yours. We really, really appreciate it. Buzzing to see how this episode gets on. I'm sure, as I said many times, they are glad it's not just me and John and they're, they'll be chuffed to hear your amazing rugby story. So thank you very much. All the best for everything going forward. Hopefully we can get you on another time soon. Thanks again, guys. Really appreciate it. Love what you're doing. Love the show. It's really, really good boosting the boosting the reputation of rugby and D&G. And it's, it's yeah, great work, guys. You're listening to the Dumfries and Galloway Rugby Podcast, bringing you the latest updates, captivating interviews, and in-depth analysis of the sport we love. And now we have some exciting news for our listeners. This season, we are proudly sponsored by BE Uniforms, the clothing partner of the Dumfries and Galloway Rugby Podcast. They have been providing top quality workwear and rugby kits for over 34 years, serving rugby clubs, schools and businesses across Scotland and the north of England. What sets BE Uniforms apart is their commitment to quality and their extensive experience in the industry. With 10 retail stores spread across the region, they are the largest uniform company in the area. They've partnered with renowned brands like Canterbury and Macron, making them the go-to destination for all your rugby kit needs. From Melrose to Oban and beyond, BE Uniforms has been supplying top quality rugby kits to clubs all over Scotland. So, 
If you're gearing up for the 2023-24 season and looking for a reliable kit supplier, we highly recommend checking out BE Uniforms. Visit their website at beuniforms.com to explore their impressive range of rugby kits and workwear options. But that's not all. Did you know that BE Uniform hosts the podcast shop on their website? Now you can go show your support for the Dumfries and Galloway Rugby Podcast by purchasing exclusive DG Rugby Pod merch. We want to express our sincere gratitude to BE Uniforms for their support in bringing you this season of the Dumfries and Galloway Rugby Podcast. Now, let's get back to the action on the field. Stay tuned for more captivating interviews and insightful previews and reviews of all the thrilling rugby happening across Dumfries and Galloway. Welcome back to part two of episode eight, Dumfries and Galloway Rugby Podcast, and we are getting stuck in straight away. My page here in front of me is absolutely full. There are eight results roundups to get through and oof, 11 fixtures previews and even some extra any other rugby business. So let's get cracking straight away. Not too much time, unfortunately, to spend again on the results roundup because it was a bit of a bit of a tough one, John, for the Dumfries and Galloway sides. All I can say is thank you to Newton and thank you to Moffat for for making this not the worst episode possible. We start with a win and we end with a win and we've got a bit of a challenge in the middle. But let's start with Newton Stewart, who managed a four-point win on the road at Berwick, 19-23. Yeah, we managed to, to catch up with Wiley this week. Before we go into the details of the match, we just want to give a shout-out and a, and a good wishes to Gregor Gaw, who suffered what Wiley described as one of the worst rugby knockouts he's he's ever seen. Gregor had to spend overnight in hospital. He is he is fine. He is back home. Has been told to to rest up and make sure he's going through the HIA protocols. It was just a bit of a freak accident. There was nothing too major. Just, the boy was running through. Gregor went to try and tackle him, and the boy made a made a movement to try and put put Gregor off. And Gregor ended up with his head in the wrong position. And was out for a good while. I reckon two, three minutes total, totally sparked. So, wishing him a speedy recovery and all the all the best to him. But going on to the performance, going on to the game, Wiley was much happier with uh, how Newton performed. Reckons their discipline was much better. Their penalty count in return for that was much lower, and they were able to keep the ball for much longer spells in the game. They got off to a bit of a good start with uh, James McMeekin getting a getting a try. Gregor Gaw making that kick, which took them to 7-0. There was then another penalty to 10. Berwick managed to claw one back to get themselves on the score sheet. And then Newton scored again to two penalties to take them in half-time 16-7, the scores. So fairly... Fairly comfortable. I think Wiley was happy with where things were. The performance, as I say, was was much, much better. Second half, got off to a, a cracking of a start again. Mark Craig managing to go over for another try, which took them to 23-7. So it looked like it was going to be coasting time for Newton Stewart. And unfortunately for Newton, they also thought that on the pitch. There was uh, a little bit of complacency. They didn't quite finish off some of the other opportunities that they got. 
Wiley reckons there was a few points left out on the pitch, which obviously just gave Berwick a little bit of a sniff that they could have come back into the game. And that they did. They managed to come back. They managed to score a try, which made things a little bit nervous for Wiley. And then they came back and scored a second try, which got them to the 23-19. But although the scoreline was getting close and Berwick had managed to score some of those late tries, Wiley was still quietly confident that the, the boys had enough control in the game that it wasn't going to be one that slipped away from them. And as it ends up, that's that's how the game finished. Now, that does give Berwick a losing bonus point. Isn't going to be a, a marker for Wiley that the team's had a had a good day, but based on the performance and all the kind of goals that he had set to try and make sure that tackle height was was much, much better, the discipline was much better, the penalty count keeping the ball, he was, he was very happy with, with how the lads performed in that aspect of the game but maybe not conceding those two tries to make things a little bit more harem him towards the, the end would have been beneficial for his heart and his his, uh, his blood pressure. Dumfries Saints were also away, but didn't manage to pick up a win like Newton Stewart. How of Fife, 67, Saints, 12. Yeah, man, and I managed to catch Paddy this week. Now, we knew it was going to be a tough game and the, I think the match predictor also showed that it was going to be quite a tough game for Saints with 90% of the of the guys coming in thinking Dumfries were, were going to be struggling in this game. Paddy was really happy with the first 30 minutes that Saints played. They played some really, really good rugby, but a few mistakes in and around the, the Ruck defence just gifted how a Fife a couple of tries which just got their tails in front. And then the game just sort of ran away from Saints. There there was, um, you know, that kind of way where when you start conceding those tries and those little mistakes start creeping in, it just seems like the bounce of the ball doesn't go your way. The 50-50 calls just don't seem to be happening. Balls don't stick. That was pretty much the story of Saints. How were clinical? Give them their dues. They were they were finishing two v ones. They were creating two v ones and making sure they put put them away, which is why the scoreline read so highly. How were just being taking every opportunity that they had. Ryan Crookshanks though was a standout performer for Dumfries in the in the pack, and Bobby Douglas was probably the best one of the better backs out there. But also a shout out to Ian Carlyle, Harley Hood, Harry Hoodley, Sam. Rogers and Rory Coburn, who also had pretty good games considering the scoreline for Saints. So we know that this is the challenge for Saints. We know that this is the the rebuild. They have acknowledged that internally, conversations, and it's about making sure that they have that team spirit and that camaraderie and they're able to maintain, at the very least maintain, their, their status, status in this division. So I know it was a, I think it was tight and bright theme bus this this weekend. So I said sometimes you've just got to build that team spirit and the result doesn't dictate how your weekend goes. And I'm sure the Saints boys had a had a real good bus trip on the way down the road. We move on now, Roscoe, to, to National Four, a game that you were partaking in. Again, kind of predicted the Garnock were going to be a tough opposition for Stewartree. 80% of the match predictors also predicted it was going to be a tough day for Stewartree. Was it tough? Talk us through it. Yeah, I'll just very quickly say on 
the the Dumfries, you said it was tight and bright, and I can I was out in Dumfries after our game on Saturday as well, and I can attest to the fact that it was very tight and very bright, and I can also attest to the fact that that they were seemed to be having a good time anyway. So same with us, really. We we had a good time, good Saturday night, despite a disappointing game. Again, not a hell of a lot to say about it. Garnet took their chances. We only played in patches, which doesn't cut it at this kind of level. A couple of good minutes of really, really good play and then, you know, not really offering a lot in any asset of the game and then playing really, really well again, you know, you're just going to get punished at the top level and that's just the way it goes. We always know that Garnet are a strong side. They beat us twice last season. We only lost three times last season, twice to Garnock and once away to East Kilbride. So they always bring the physicality. We know that. And they turned up with, with a game plan, stuck to it, stuck hard, ran hard, carried around the corner and, and in the end were able to put us to bed. I think we we played our best rugby in the last eight, nine, ten minutes. If we had done that a little bit before, we easily could have been in that game. And I really think us on our best day and them on their best day, it is an incredibly tight match to call. With that said, Gornick are now five from five. They're clearly a clearly a well-drilled team. They know what they're doing. They're top of the league. They're absolutely flying. So fair play to them. You've got to take your hat off. We are just another team that they've managed to brush aside this season and, and you know restrict us to 11 points, which is pretty good considering how many we've scored recently. That is the first time in my stewardry career. Granted, I've only been here a year. It's literally a year, a couple of weeks ago, I think. That is the first time I've seen us or I have suffered back-to-back losses at Stewartry. And like I said, we didn't have any back-to-back losses last season because the Garnet games and the East Kilbride games were, East Kilbride game were spread apart. So I've never seen us have back-to-back. You'd probably have to go back two, three seasons. Potentially, John, we'd have to check the things, obviously maybe 2021-22. The last time they were back to back back to back losses, so move on to the next one. Garnock are flying. Fair play to them. Garnock scored twenty seven points away from home, and so did Cumnock. They were at Violet Bank playing Annan. Cumnock twenty seven, Annan nineteen. Again, this was one of the the ones that didn't quite go the way the score predictor thought. So only only thirty percent of people predicted. A Cumnock win. Obviously, Annan had a real good start to the season, but maybe over the last couple of weeks, their results haven't quite gone their gone their way. But Annan started really well in this game, and they were five five three up in in the first inside the first ten minutes. AJ getting himself over for a try, and Cumnock managing to get a penalty just just before that happened. But it was it wasn't converted. Cumnock got themselves. Back in front, though, through a try of their own, which was unconverted, which made it 10-5. And then on 30 minutes, Josh Whiteside managed to make it 10-8. But almost from the restart, there was another try from Cumnock, which then took the game to 17. And that was the score going into the half time. There was another Josh Whiteside penalty soon after that, which was only 25 minutes left on the clock to go. It was a nip and tuck game, but it was Cumnock who scored shortly after that, their third try of the match, which then took the score 
to 14-22. With 20 minutes to go, there was lots of opportunities and lots of chances to be taken. It was a question of who was going to be the next one to score and bring the game to a close. And it was Annan that managed to score with Willicks getting the, his fourth try in five games. So it was 19-22 going in with 10 minutes to go. It ended up 27-19 as Cumnock was the last team to score with their try in the closing minutes of the game. It was almost there for Annan, but Cumnock just managed to hold on, take their opportunities towards the end of the game, which let them go back home with a with a win from Violet Bank. So it's a little bit disappointing for Annan, but they have to congratulate Cumnock on the win. And it was, as I say, that tight game going backwards and forwards. I'm sure there'll be plenty of stuff that Jan and the coaching team will be able to take from that and improve the boys' performance as they go on in the season. Geyer in that same West 1 league were away to Ardrossan. And Ardrossan, as we know, were looking pretty strong this season and they put up a good score at home this time out. Ardrossan 32, Shire 13. Yeah, and again, it's kind of similar, a bit of a similar story. So Shire got off to a real good start early on with an early try through Neil Forsyth and then have a penalty followed up by Blair Forsyth to give them a 10-0 lead. Conditions weren't the greatest because the, the rain had come on, which which made it a bit scrappy for both teams. Adrossin managed to finish the first half probably the stronger of the two, using their big set piece to get themselves two tries to make sure that they went in 14-10 uh, and at half time. The Shire set piece probably struggled a little bit. Their, their line out just didn't function. Then that meant, you know, the, the opportunities that they were getting were just going to waste with giving away penalties and giving away free kicks. And, and that just doesn't let your backline get any sort of momentum in the game and just not allow them to create any opportunities for you, which was obviously one of the focuses we talked about last week for them probably coming into this game was to try and get that back line clicking. But when you don't have that set piece working, it's just it's always going to be a struggle. So the second half, Adrossum pretty much controlled from start to finish. They adjusted to the conditions better. They played their kicking game where we talked about their 10, putting them into the right places and relied on their set piece. They managed to keep the try line unbroken. Shire weren't able to get another try for the rest of the day and then once that happens you know the frustration starts creeping in and penalty count went way too high and they only managed to get another points on the board through taking through taking their own penalties so it was a bit of a learning day for uh, Shire it was an eye opener for them to see what it's going to take to to be at the top of the table in this league a in probably much like we said when we talked about Garnock, well-drilled, well-organised, top-of-the-table side. And if you can't put your basics together, then you're going to struggle against these oppositions. And when you give them such a high penalty and error count, you are going to be punished for it. So it's a tough one. It's not one that was totally unexpected. You know, we knew it was going to be a tough game. Just over 50%, so 60% of people predicted uh, an Adrossin win. Yeah, that's it. They, they've just got to learn from it, move on to the next one, take it on the chin. 
we also last week predicted a tough game for Langham, but they so, so nearly proved us wrong. They were at home to Linlithgow, which, as we said, we knew a bit about Linlithgow from last season. They're a strong side. They like to play at pace. They like to get around the corner. But this time, clearly, Langham put up a really, really good fight. Langham 21, Linlithgow 24. Yeah, I think when we previewed that game, as you said, we, we said about knowing a little bit about Linlithgow and how they were they were just good and they were solid. And it was going to take a little bit of X factor to try and uh, to try and derail them by this scoreline and looking at this like I, I don't again I don't know the details I haven't, I haven't got anybody at Langham that I know to be able to contact but looking at that scoreline that looks to me like it's been two fairly solid robust teams going at each other and Lunlithgow has taken the spoils in that game Lunlithgow then go five from five so they're unbeaten Langham not massively unhealthy but you know they're the losses are now starting to starting to mount up for them. They've now got more losses than they do wins. Their points difference is now sitting at minus two. So they'll be looking for a, a fixture this weekend to make sure that they get that back in the red and they get their season back on track. And the team that they've got this week, that, that looks like a distinct possibility, but we'll we'll preview that when we come to it. We started with a win and we are going to end with two wins. First of all is Moffat. Thank you to Moffat for keeping this a lively episode, at least for the results roundup. Mid Argyle 7, Moffat 17. You know it's a good result and you know it's a good performance when you get an early message from the coaches. You don't need to prompt them. They just come at you and they tell you the, the story of the match. And that's what we got from, from Ross this weekend. So the Rams, as we say, travelling up to Middergill, it was going to be a tough game. They knew it was going to be pretty competitive up there. But three first half tries from Max Douglas, David Sloan and Callum Dodds with Max converting at least one of them. Moffat really were in control of the game. Middergill managed to get a bit of a consolation try in the very last minute of the match in the second half but it was a game that was pretty much dominated by the Rams for from the first off. It was mostly played in Argyll's half. Mid-Argyll sort of hung their hat on the fact they had a bit of a strong pack, tried to, tried to pile on a bit of pressure onto the Rams' defence and a yellow card for each of the sides kind of reflects how much pressure that the, the two packs were putting on each other. Although there was a although it was a result and it was a good win, there was a little bit of frustration from from Ross that the game at times that Moffat sort of got sucked into that playing the same way that Midargyle wanted them to play, rather as the way that the Rams want to play going forward. But saying that, you you can't sniff at a victory on the road when you've got that kind of travel distance from you. So Ross is going to be happy with that result, but again. Even though you win, you still have to learn some stuff and they're obviously still needing to just get that dialed in that they play their style of rugby and they, they don't get suckered into opposition teams trying to get you to play the style of rugby that they want you to play. But yeah, Moffat flying high once again. Speaking of flying high, 
we've got the Dumfries ladies. Obviously, we had a great chat with Dom about everything brilliant that's going on over there. I don't believe, or I believe we didn't, is probably the better way to phrase it. I believe we didn't preview them last week. And for that, we apologise. It really does seem like a simple thing, I know. But there are so many teams and so many results playing on different days. And we're really just trying to get the best content out for all of them. And sometimes we do forget about one, especially when it's in a kind of aspiring league. I think, John, the, it, they're not very easily accessible. The fixtures, we have them now, but the maybe the results and the teams taking part in any kind of Facebook presence, that kind of stuff, it's, it's not too strong. So that's our excuse. But I do apologise. We will we will be better and we, are try, we never try to forget any teams. But we're glad we remembered this week because by all accounts, they had a cracking weekend, John. Yeah, as you say, the, the, the results aren't accessible on the SRU website. It's one of the things that we talked about at that meeting that we had that we had with them. Like, if you are going to try and promote the women's game, you need to you need to be profiling it better. So, I appreciate Saints sending us through their fixture list. We've got that saved on both our phones now, so hopefully, we will not make that mistake again. Because I know you guys are passionate about it because I've been chinned three or four times about it. And yes, I know. As Ross says, we will be better. We'll be better. We're not doing it on purpose. But yeah, it was three wins from three for the third leg of the aspiring league, all the threes. First up was a game against the air. Have quite a growing growing sort of setup up there. Like that's their second team. Obviously, their first team's doing pretty well and in the West Region League, currently sitting top of the table. So it was going to be quite a challenge for Saints. And it was a really physical game. And the Saints lost one player to injury. Unfortunately, we're wishing them all the very best. And one player to a yellow card. But the team put in a great effort through that game, which meant that they came out winners in the final scoreline of 35 points to 10. Next up, they played Glasgow Uni. And it was another great game for the girls. Found their find the sort of pace that they want to play the game at and were pretty clinical in their attack, managing to score 45 points and conceding zero. So that's a pretty good result if you're looking at it from a coaching point of view. To clean sheet it and to score that many points has been real awesome. Final game was against Greenock and they've managed to play Greenock quite a few times at some of these different events. And Greenock have had two squads that have played, but when they've seen the Saints coming back again after they beat them twice the, the previous week. Greenock decided that we're going to combine both their teams to try and play them for the third week and see if they could pick up a win this time. But even with a large squad and some rolling subs, they still couldn't stop the Saints on their winning streak, holding a voodoo over Greenock, probably having making them have nightmares. They ran out a final score of 45-5. So well done to them. All in all, it was a great display of how the team is really progressing, putting their hard work that they've been doing on the training pitch and making sure that it shows off in the in their matches. So well done to them. Player of the tournament went to Abby Tate for her strong carries and attack and her physicality in the breakdowns. And try scorers on the day, Annabelle topping the table with eight, Tasha managing to score seven, Abby with five, Denny with three, and Bryony scoring two 
And a special mention as well to Rebecca, who made her Saints debut. Not only her Saints debut, but her very first game of rugby. So welcome aboard to this silly little game that we play, Rebecca. And we hope it provides as much fun and enjoyment and memories as it's uh, provided the rest of us in D&G. So good on you. Yeah, they're absolutely flying at the moment. Chuffed to bits to see them going well. Maybe Newton Stewart, maybe Moffat, maybe Langham one day will all have women's teams as well that we need to add to this podcast, John, which just gives us more teams to forget about. We go right back to the top, though, as we rattle through these fixtures. There are a lot to get through. So we'll give you a quick word where they're being played, who they're playing against, where each team sits in the table, and we will eventually get through this and we will eventually stop talking so you can have some peace. Newton Stewart, back at home after a win. They are playing Peebles. Yeah, and again, it's going to be another common common theme, a common thing we say. Peebles are absolutely no mugs. They're sitting second in the table. They have won four, lost one, scoring 159 points. Newton, in contrast, up there, 100, 107 points, but two losses to their name. And they know fine well that Peebles, listen, when you play Peebles, you, you know they're coming down big, big pack, solid set piece, and that's how they're going to take you on. Newton have to make sure, just what we talked about with Moffat, don't get sucked into that game. Yes, front up by all means. But if you want to beat them, you don't take them on and their strengths and you don't take them on in an arm wrestle and you try and make sure you play round them, you play over them. And if you if you can, you've got them stretched, play through them. But don't go out there thinking that your first option is up the jumper and we're going to take them on because they will just suffocate the life out of you. So it's about Newton playing their game. It's about Newton being able to play with that width and that pace that they want to play at. They're in with a, they're in with an opportunity to take a victory. They're at home, so they'll be hoping that they'll use that home field advantage. I think there's a few sides in Dumfries and Galloway that maybe really want to start getting the ball rolling with a couple of wins and I think none more so at the moment than Saints maybe. They have a chance to really start to kick things into gear. They're at home, Park Farm, welcoming Cartha Queen's Park. Yeah, and when you're when you're sort of in those examples and you're you're looking at different things, you're in that tough sort of spell in your season or you're in that tough rebuild sort of phase you look at the teams round about you as teams that you want to try and pick off and you look at the, those games that you're playing at home against those guys and this is one of those four Saints pretty much on the same par as as Carter one win for across each of them four losses for both of them Saints conceding 200 points. Carthar conceded 217. Carthar edging the, the scores four with 98. And Dumfries on 78. Bonus points matching. League points matching. This is one of the games that Paddy will be trying to get his troops organised and prepared for 
to be able to put out that performance. Because this is one of those games that the saying happens, if you put your performance in, you've got every chance of winning this game. And that's one of them. And if they do want to maintain league status in National 3, these are the guys that they need to be picking off. West of Scotland, Hamilton Bulls, and this weekend's opposition, Carther Queen's Park. So we're hoping that Saints manage to get a win if they're able to put in a good performance in their tight and bright and then the pubs in Dumfries imagine how much of a great night out it will be they've managed to pick up a victory as well so they're wanting to get the show back on the road and this is an ideal opportunity for them to do that and being able to pick up this pick up a victory here so with fingers crossed Park Farm's going to be jumping You might just want to say Almost exactly the same thing for our next one, John. It's a chance to get things back on the road. Perfect opportunity to do so. Stuart Tree, we've suffered a couple losses now. As I said, first back-to-back losses in a long time. Ross High is where Stuart Tree are going away. Yeah, and Ross High are, are struggling in this league. They've they've not got a win to their name. They've conceded 234 points. So this is a game that Stuart Tree definitely will be looking to try and pick up a victory from. Saying that, Ross High are also going to be looking in and around who it is they are trying to pick off. And unfortunately for Stuart Tree, they're not that far away from them. So they are probably within Ross High's, Ross High's eyesight. They are looking for those guys to try and put in a performance and they'll, the home advantage that they'll have, they'll be looking to try and do that. So Stuartry can't go up there thinking that this is going to be complacent. We know the issues that Stuartry have this season in and around being able to get a team or being able to get boys to be available for away games because they've seemed to struggle on the road. It doesn't seem to be the same team that plays at home. All those things have to fall into place for Stuartry to be able to pick up a victory. But we will, will be expecting a a win there for Stuart Tree. I would I would imagine on the score predictor, I'd imagine everybody would be backing them, considering they've got, you know, three wins in this. It's only two losses. It's not the end of the world, but a third loss here could be could be a disaster for Stuart Tree. So they don't want that to happen. So they'll be looking for a win this week. Everything you've just said there, John, about Saints, everything you've just said there about Stuart Tree, let's just times it by three. And then Couple losses on the bounce as well, but this might be a game to get things back on track. They are away at Lindsay. Listen, this is a game that's that's going to be fifty fifty split. I think on the score predictor, when when you look at the two teams, there's only one league point between them. Both teams sitting on two wins. Both teams sitting on three losses. Both pretty much sitting on the same points scored as well. One hundred and eleven, one hundred and twelve. Annan nipping it by one point. Annan also have a better defensive record, having over, only conceded 130 points. Lindsay conceding 172. So this is a game that Jan will be wanting to try and get the show on the road and being able to pick up a win. And yes, they're on the road, but Annan are hoping for a better season than to be mid-table. Jan said that. He wants to look to mid-table to be building after Christmas towards finishing near the top of the table. And you don't do that when you when you go to these games, these 50-50 games, and, and you don't pick up a result. So it'll be a big one for Annan, and they'll need to be on the ball 
to make sure that they do see Lindsay away and they get themselves back into a winning into a winning routine. I maybe wouldn't go quite as far as to say we should just times it by four because Shire are more of a team that have had a indifferent season. A couple of wins, a couple of losses, differing performances as well. But nevertheless, it still remains the fact that this could be a good game for them to build, start building again after a loss at the weekend. They are at home and they've got DL. Yeah, and listen, this DL is going to be no surprise to Shire. They know exactly what is going to come for them. It's going to be a tough game. They're going to play physically. They've got a good pack and they can hurt you if they give you a bit of go forward. But Shire at home, knowing all that sort of stuff, coming off the back of, of a loss against Ardrossan, they'll be looking, you know, John and the coaching team will be looking for a looking for a response. And the way that the boys put that response in is by putting a team like DL to the sword, who are no mugs by any stretch of the imagination, but they're not they're not a team that is uh, causing a lot of issues in this in the in that league currently. We've talked about it before with Shire, that they are habit of being inconsistent where they put in a really good performance against a team that's top of the table and then the next week turn round and and lose. They'll be hoping that that doesn't happen and they need to go into this fully prepared and fully prepared for that battle that is going to come their way. But if they are able to front up and they're able to go in there without any complacency, they should be coming away with that with a victory for this one and making sure that we're not talking about more defeats again next next week. Langham played Linlithgow last week and it's another L this week. Not loss-wise, but they play Leith. Nice to be able to say that. On a personal level, for me, Leith is where I'm from. It's where I've grown up, it's where I spent my life. I know a lot about that rugby club, so nice to get them on the podcast for the first time. Leith at home, they have Langham. So what do you know about them, Roscoe? What is their, what's their game? I don't know a lot about Leith. I would say probably pretty similar to to the likes of what we've said about Linlithgow. They they're strong, they're physical, but they also quite like to play that fast ball. So you know, as much as possible, limiting the time at rocks, getting the ball out, getting it through the hands, that kind of gameplay, which is interesting because I don't know, oh, I don't know an awful lot about Langham. So how that matches up when you compare the two sides. That could be a huge battle there. You never know, or it could be two sides that have uh, that have exactly the same game plan. It's it's quite hard to say, as we say, as we've said before. It's we're still getting into what Langham are about, especially this season. But I think looking at the table, it probably gives you a fair idea of what's to happen in this one. Yeah, when you do look at the table, you see Leith haven't managed to score an awful lot, only eighty-two points compared to Langham's. 157. There is only one victory between them, so it's not like it's uh, an easy time that Langham are going for, but Langham are sitting in a slightly healthier place going into that game, sitting on 13 points, whereas Leith are only sitting on five. So, yeah, you're right, probably a Langham victory we're looking at, but if they go in there with the wrong attitude, then they might they might get caught out from, from what you can, what you say is a 
fairly handy leaf outfit of just maybe not being able to string some results together. So every dog has its day, as they say. Moffat are picking up wins left, right and centre and they've done really well, especially on the road. So they will definitely be hoping to do exactly the same while they're at home. And that is the case this weekend. They are hosting Lanark and Clydesdale. Yeah, and it's a bit of a bit of a role swap from last season because I think Lanark and Clydesdale were were actually doing pretty well last season, and Moffat were the team that were sort of struggling. And now Moffat, as we say, four from four. Lanark and Clydesdale having only picked up one win. Thing that you'll be looking for Moffat's defence is currently the second best defence in that league, having only conceded. 57 points so far this season compared to Lanark and Clydesdale who have shifted 148 which makes them the third worst defence in that league but they have managed to score more tries than Moffat more points, 111 compared to Moffat's 108 not that many but enough to give them a enough to give them a fighter's chance so again Moffat They'll be looking to pick up another victory, make it five from five and keep their unbeaten record rolling. Back to what we were saying before, as we move into the women's, we're hoping for a win, a strong win, to try and get a side back on track in their season. Sirens are at home, I think, for the third game in a row, which is pretty, or second game in a row, which is pretty good. They're putting in the performances at Greenlaw, they just need that win now. They're playing Stirling County. Yeah, and listen, unfortunately for the Sirens, I don't think this is the game that they're they're going to be they're going to be getting that that victory. Stirling are a solid, solid team. They've only lost one game so far this season, and it's and it's going to be tough. They they have been able to watch back the game that they played. The last time they played Stirling, they have been able to learn some lessons, some lessons from it. Whether they've learned enough, whether they, whether Stirling aren't looking past this game, maybe they are looking past this game. Maybe they, maybe they're thinking that they're they've beaten Stewartry once, so they're maybe going to beat them again. That's that's the chance that the Sirens have. So they need to make sure that their performance is right, and if cards fall in their favour, then then that's an ideal opportunity for them to be, be able to grab a, a grab a little bit of a scalp there with Sterling. But I think realistically the chances of that happening are fairly slim when you're sitting bottom of that table, as we said, same with Dumfries. You're looking at the teams round about you, you're looking at Carter, you're looking at Geary. What they don't want to happen is they don't want to happen a big score. They want to be looking for the four try bonus points. They want to be looking to try and keep the game within seven. They want to try and frustrate Sterling and make them self-implode. And then that gives them, uh, as I say, a fighter's chance. But this is going to be a tough a tough weekend for the Sirens, I, I fear. Annan Warriors in West 1, the first of two teams in our West 1, win, West 1 Women's League. Quite a mouthful. They're at home and they're playing Oban. So this is a bottom-of-the-table clash. So chocolate and the... the Warriors will be looking to try and make amends for that. Oban have not had a great 
run of things. They have only managed to play three fixtures so far. I don't know the reasons for that. There's nothing on the SRU website that tells me what the reasons for that are. But what it does tell me is that they haven't picked up a victory in the three games that they've played. Annan are also going into this with no wins to their to their uh, to their name. So they'll be looking to try and make that get that tally mark up and running. And this weekend is an ideal opportunity for them to be able to try and do that if the age old curse of team struggling to get down to Dumfries and Galloway doesn't strike again. So we will wait and we will see if that game goes ahead, I would be expecting Chocolate and the and the Warriors to, to be in for a tough battle, but a hard fought battle. But I think they'll they'll probably have enough to come away with a win in that game. We're hoping also for the same we're hoping for the same also. Again, probably a better way to say it. For Shire. They're playing Cortha Queensport twos at home. Yep, and again, bottom of the table clash. The bottom of that West One table reads Oban, Annan, Wigtonshire, and Cortha Queens Park. Now, controversially, maybe I'm going to say it out loud. I'm going to say it on the podcast. Controversially, Cortha seem to be having this uh, push that they have got one of the biggest women's sections in the country but don't seem to be able to be fulfilling all their fixtures which is a slight concern and when they've got to travel down to Wigtonshire again the curse of D&G teams find it so easy to just turn around and say oh we can't we can't get a team together we can't we can't travel down so again we're hoping that that doesn't happen we're hoping that this game goes ahead because it's not fair when teams just decide that they're not coming coming down to this neck of the woods so it's another game that the girls are going to be looking to try and target Paul and the the Shire women's Shire ladies are are going to be looking at that game thinking you know that's a it's a great opportunity for them to be able to showcase the kind of rugby that they play down in Stranraer and also being able to pick up a victory against what is going to be someone that they are going to be fighting with relegation down that bottom end of the table with as things stand currently. So they've got to start picking up these victories against these teams round about. They already knocked off Annan at the beginning of the season with a win. Carthor, this is the first time that they are going to get an opportunity to play that kind of team more down the, their end of the table. So they'll be looking to pick up a victory from, from that one, especially the home field advantage and Carthor's issue with travelling. This time, we have not forgotten about Dumfries ladies. They are playing another tournament style in this Inspire League this weekend, hosted this time around by Air. Yeah, and listen, I'm sure it'll be another success for Dumfries when you're looking at the scores that they've been putting in, the 40-odd points. They are probably going to go into this competition thinking that they are they are going to be coming away there from winners again. So they need to go into this with the favourites tag and knowing that they're probably going to pick up most of their games they're going to pick up victories be interesting to see who is rocking up because if I think a few weeks back it was at Paisley I think they drew 15 all with that's the kind of games that they they want to be that's going to really challenge them when they're being able to win by 40 odd points what becomes important is them putting in the sort of structures and the shapes and the the kind of game play that they want to play. So 
they'll know that they'll be able to control the game. They'll know that they'll be able to control the scoreboard. It's then making sure that their systems are working and it's not they don't fall into the bad habit that normally happens when you when you start racking up scores where you play one out rugby because everybody wants to run away and score a try. And yes, we shout out the try scorers on this podcast, but we also try and shout out those unsung heroes that are the ones that are putting them in because that that is the real key to rugby as guy who's able to, or the team that is able to manipulate the space and be able to put the players into that space so that when you come up against a tougher opponent, as I imagine Dumfries will be wanting to do next season when they move into the leagues, they need to make sure that they're prepped for that and they're not going to be able to just run away with 40, 50 point wins that they're going to have to fight for it and they're going to have to try and make sure that they manipulate defenders and put people where they need to be and that's what they should be looking for when they start going through the rest of this comp because it's clear that Clear from the scores that we've seen that they are maybe a, a, the leaders in the in their performance at those festivals, and it's about making sure that they continue to develop and they continue to grow as a, as a team and as a as a rugby playing community. Because obviously they're they're brand spanking new. There'll be a lot of girls there that haven't played a lot of rugby. Before we finish, then with the last section, like we always do, John, you need to pick. A game of the week. What's it going to be this time around? I am going to go with, I think, what's going to be quite an important fixture in the overall season. And I'm going to go with Saints versus Carter. I think that's going to be a doozy. I think that's a game that Dumfries are capable of winning. But it's going to be a tough one. They're going to have to really fight for it and they're going to have to battle. And this could be the one that sort of sets them on. You know, if they've had a if they've got that team spirit, you've got that camaraderie, they've got that foundation that Paddy's been really talking about. This could be the weekend that they put in a performance and then able to put in that celebration, that social, that team cohesion through for a full weekend, rather as it just being an after-match thing. This is their opportunity to do it on-field and off-field. So I'm going dumfries Carter for Game of the Week. Just back to you then, John, for any other rugby business. A couple things. I think score predictor is back, which people will be buzzing about. But not only that, schools rugby is back too. What have you got for us? Yeah, so schools rugby is kicking back off. So the 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 qualifiers for Dumfries and Galloway have kicked off first round over here in the west with Kirkubri and Castle Douglas from the Stewartry going through for the boys comp, and for the girls comp, Stranraer and Douglas Stewart are going through. So a real spread across the the region here in the west. There'll of course be east qualifiers happening. Soon there will be central qualifiers, which is essentially Dumfries, happening too. And then the top two from each of those will go through into the regional final that will happen just before Christmas. So term one is kicked off. Club rugby's kicked off. This is the official start of the school's rugby kicking off as well. So an exciting time in uh, rugby development for a lot of clubs and for a lot of the teams. The other bit of any other rugby business that we need to talk about as as we've said, the score predictor or the match predictor 
And we have had a first, we have had the first ever full clean sweep. And I'm not going to say who it is because I refuse to give him a shout out on the podcast. Because I remember not that too long ago that he had posted on his social media page saying that he will not support the podcast. Well, not that he will not support the podcast, but he put on that he doesn't normally support or promote the podcast because of family ties. So I'm not going to support and I'm not going to promote any of his BS. So, no, he's not getting a shout out. But there was a full, a clean sweep. And we'll just leave it at that. Because I'm also not going to tell you that he's sitting top of the table. Because I'll never hear the end of it. He messages me every week. And <laughs> and he doesn't message me about anything else. Brotherly love, eh? Brotherly love. Bugger him. Anyway. So he sits top of the table, and we'll move on from that quickly. But the dark horse is right behind him on 27 points. There is JKM just behind them with 25 points, and then Carl sitting on 24. There is some new runners and riders coming in this weekend with Nathan Brown and Adam Old coming in. They started their score predictors fairly strongly with... With five out of seven, so that's not a bad start for the lads. But it was uh, there was a fair splattering across, as we say. The highest was full seven out of seven, and the lowest score predictor was actually JKM, who has normally been pretty spot on, but he had an absolute mare this weekend, only predicting three of the results correctly. It is still open; it's still there. Uh, if you manage to come on and you manage to get a clean sweep or you get the highest scores of the week, we will give you a shout out. So even though you might not appear on the season scoreboard as they go on, because obviously some guys are uh, way ahead, sitting on, as you say, in the 20s and the 20s sort of scoreboard, there is still plenty to go for. And we will be shouting out anybody who joins in and puts up, posts up a good score in the first week. So get yourself involved in the score predictor. And last little score predictor thing for me, Roscoe, is once again, we are going to have a look at the Rugby World Cup predictor. Now, I have not looked at this all week because I am going to go live reaction to see where we both are. So we're just loading it up just now on my phone. You are clearly doing this and in the background, trying to hang on to your your scores Jay Mitch is currently leading the way. Fleming, 1977. There's, I don't think there's been much change in that from the last time we had a look at it. I am still sitting in third, and you are in fourth. 205 points. I'm on 239, top of the table, 267. We're going to give Dav Thompson a shout-out just because as I was going through the match predictor, he was in sixth place, so I felt like that didn't deserve a shout-out in sixth, but I'm going to give him a shout-out in fifth place on the Rugby World Cup score predictor with 171 points. So again, another little bit of fun, another little bit of uh, banter, the way that you can get involved with us on the podcast and be part of that rugby community. That was a lot to get through. Thank you very much for sticking around with us. We are hoping this weekend for a couple more wins for our Dumfries and Galloway sides. 
really get some seasons on track. But no matter what, we'll be there eagerly waiting to see what happens. And we will bring you everything that does happen this time next week. Thank you also to Dom. Fantastic to have a guest on again. We will keep them coming throughout this season. Still a lot of people on our list that we're keen to have a blether with. Episode 8, over and out. Thank you very much, John. Yes. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Dumfries and Galloway Rugby Podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave us a like and review on our social medias. Our Facebook page is Dumfries and Galloway Rugby Podcast. Our Instagram and Twitter handles are DG Rugby Pod. We also have the Score Predictor, which we run weekly, which will be on our social media accounts. And once again, thank you for any support that you offer the pod. It really does help us spread the word of rugby and Dumfries and Galloway across the country.